because he was in the military service. Mm-hmm. What branch of the armed services did he join? He was a motion marine. Was he a merchant marine or a coast guard? Coast guard. You're right. Okay. Well, you know, at first You're I right. thought merchant marine, and I said, you know, I've got coast guard written here. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the show. I went and found the one where he went, and I'm I'm pretty sure coast guard was right. And Gail Gordon really did leave to go to the Coast Guard, not just the mayor character. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. I thought that was pretty neat the way they wrote it in. Absolutely. And it was um, gas rationing. Gas rationing. Let me see what I what I wrote on my thingy here. It was not the sh- the name of the show had nothing to do with La Trivia leaving, and that surprised me. Let's see what we got here, La Triv. La Trivia. Yeah, it was um, from from uh, December 1st, 1942, mm-hmm. and the name of the show was Gas Rationing, and we've listened to that one. Yeah. Well, maybe they didn't have time to really put a script together. They didn't? Well, who knows? Oh, a, a script together for... for uh, the mayor. For the mayor leaving, uh-huh. I see. No, and you're right. I mean, it, it really was a huge event, but he just came in mm-hmm. on one of his regular visits, and they wrote it in as he was coming to mm-hmm. say goodbye because he had joined the Coast Guard. Um, and Fibber, of course, was that was the one where he was munching around because a person as important as he was shouldn't have his gas rationed. So, but anyway, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. So I think that was your second question. Now we have to go back to your first question. Uh-huh. Who was Dan Garrett? He was a character on a radio show from May to September of 1940. <laughs> very good. Oh. <laughs> you rascal. Yes, that's very good. He was the Blue Beetle. Oh. He yeah. was, Dan oh. Garrett was a rookie police officer yeah. who fought crime as the Blue Beetle. Now, I always thought that Shuri Sound was in the 30s. I never would have shown she had been the 40s down. I thought it was a poor imitation of the Green Hornet, and with the name the Blue Beetle, I'm, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Anyhow, let me let me check and double check with uh, with Dunning on the dates. I'm pretty sure about the dates, but anyhow, Blue Beetle. We got a new listener. Hello there. Hello there. I am going to bug you again. Well, you should. You, you, you know, there's no woman to giving us a okay. call. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Do you remember what Chuckles with Clown's uh, little uh, song was? No. Uh, it was a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. That's it. Yes. And she tried to she tried to quote that, and she was really backing up, you know. Is that what it was? Okay. Oh, it's somebody... I, I, you're right. It came into there somewhere, but I can't remember where and how. how. How did the line get in the funeral home? How did the what? The line, uh, seltzer down your pants. Oh, she was talking to the minister, and, and he he said, you seem to be totally affected by this, and would you speak a little bit about Chuckles and your association with him? And then she started saying things that she remembered, and that little jingle was part of it. It was so, so out of place, but so funny. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> That's Cryer on on TV. Uh huh. But it, it was cute that she started to laugh and couldn't stop. Right. 
great question well the only thing I could think of yeah uh, was maybe they were the audition was aimed at the agency that uh, they wanted to sponsor the program yeah um, correct so they yeah. put their commercial in there correct but, yeah. yeah so they probably it was a live audition they probably Johnson wax uh, you know generally as you know knowing back in those days they bought 52 weeks uh, they weren't allowed to, um, they weren't allowed to, uh, only just buy 13 weeks and take the summer off. They had to buy all 52 weeks. Uh-huh. And maybe they, uh, and maybe if I had a perpetual counter, I would look up work in the heck with May 26, 1941, what day of the week that was. But they, uh, they, they probably just used that one, um, on your slot and just stick it in there and uh, see how the audience reaction was. Uh-huh. And that's probably why they had commercials. Huh. Interesting. Uh, it just seemed um, kind of... Yeah, an audition... What purpose it served, I guess. Yeah, well, CBS... And the one to attract uh, a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's interesting. Maybe, and maybe, they couldn't, maybe they couldn't decide internally... If it's going to go the great girls who arrange some tournament, and maybe they decide to make a test run with the audience, let the audience reaction pick what they're going to be their summer replacement show. Uh, uh-huh. That could have been, that could have happened. Yeah. You know. It's funny, it was general, generally the way auditions were handled if they included a commercial. I haven't heard those, that many of them. But. No. I, it was interesting that CBS had a series in the summer called Forecasts. In 1940 and 41, and they would try out shows, and they, uh, that's where Duffy Tavern was born and Suspense was born, but, you know, none of those had sponsored. I was just put together by CBS, uh-huh. and, but you're right, that's the only one I can think of that, uh, that had a commercial in it. You're, you're, that's, that's a good, good thing you pointed that out. Do you, um, this is something I do, and I catch myself going in and out of this, listening to old radio sometimes. <laughs> I picture the people are standing around the microphone reading <laughs> reading lines uh, instead of seeing them out in the desert or you know downtown mm-hmm. or wherever it might be. Do you ever do that? Is that just sometimes? I guess if there's a lack, uh, the I acting th- is not as good as it should be. Or or, or maybe the story's not good. Well, yeah. Do you, do you ever do that? Uh huh. Got to picture them reading it instead of. Well, I was, you were talking earlier, you played that cut for uh, Gildersleeve when he was talking to Marjorie. Yeah. The name. I think what happened was that the uh, she, before she said her lines, he said something about, you have really grown up. Mm-hmm. And looked at the actress that was to follow, and she maybe was, you know, pretty or uh, it was a figure Lo- or something like that. And it was interesting. It was Lorene Tuttle. And she, the reason why she quit the show... Uh, she thought she was way too old to be playing a young teenage daughter. Maybe, maybe, and maybe, because at that time, and I knew, and I met her, she was 34 years old when she did that uh, that audition show. Oh, that could be it then. Yeah. The age difference. Uh-huh. But I thought she sounded like a teenager. I thought she did a good job. Oh, yeah, she did a great job. She was a great actress. But, uh, but she just thought, 
that's why she quit the, sh the series after three years. She thought it was totally ridiculous that she was a teenager, you know, for her. Well, having them laugh didn't help her yeah. either, I guess, or her confidence. Yeah. But, uh, I'm, I'm skipping around here because I've made some notes of things you've only been talking about. The other was Fibber McGee and Molly, the um, little sayings that Fibber had. Uh -huh. uh, I can't think of one, but I, it seems like there was one that the character, the old-timer, would say, that ain't the way I heard it. That's one of them. You're absolutely right. The one I heard it. Uh, I can think of that one, but I know, and you covered the others that I knew. But I'm sure it's full of... Uh, yep, he listed out, I counted 16 here. And as I went through them, I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And, that, and this, these were involved, these were uh, in addition to the closet. So, like, there's, there's one, he had a cigar routine. Uh -huh. He would ask, do you, have a, do you have a cigar? And the guy would say, no, thanks, I have one. Uh -huh. And Fibber would say, you got two? Yep. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that's the, well, then, now, what did he call 14 notes? Is that a running gag? Well, let me see. It should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that. And I wonder how many people caught on to that. Well, we sure did. Yeah. I think I got Nolan on that one night. I mm -hmm. said, where was the gas company? <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, uh, you did. Yeah, it was the gas company. I sent you to the gas company, and you said, I don't know. Oh, uh, is, is that you, Mert? I would say that's a running gag. Well, let's see. He's got... Well, let me go. Let me go through them. All right. Um, it's got Tane Funny McGee was number one. Mm -hmm. Got to get them brakes fixed. Oh. It was every time he was out in the car. That ain't the way I heard it from the old timer. His tongue twisters, the alliteration that he yeah. does with the tongue twisters. Um, and it was and Horatio K. Boomer. Where did I put that now? Uh -huh. Um, the Merck bit, yes. Yeah. Um. Fibber, huh, usually spoken as by Fibber as he relates what the telephone operator tells him, but it's, is that you, Mert? Is, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the repeat thing. The stories aren't, but is that you, Mert? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, and you're a hard man, McGee, from Gildersleeve. Right. Yeah. The hall closet, the cigar routine that I just said. Um, the word confusion, when he gets his words all mixed up, and they're they're similar. He'll say an optimist instead of an optometrist. Yes, <laughs> becomes a bigamist. Yes, it's uh, and that, that was really well done. Uh, the Latrivia blow up. That's a yeah. repeat shtick. Love that man yeah. with um, Bula. Bula. Yeah, Bula. Love that man. Love that man. And the, the bird book from Mr. Wimple. <laughs> bird book. Bird book. Yeah. yeah. Bird book. Mrs. Cloudhatch. Mrs. Clatterhatch, uh, that Doc Gamble would always take a phone call, would always, not, oh, not yeah. always, when Doc Gamble took a phone call at Fibber McGee and Molly's house, it was almost always Mrs. Clatterhatch. Mm. And with Oli, I'm just donating my time. Yeah. And let's see, the name game, the confused exchanges between the McGees and the characters assumed by Cliff Arquette, when mm -hmm. he addressed them by using terms like clairvoyant and tuckered. I don't I don't understand that one. Well, and then you, you can pick those up. That started in the late 40s, around 49. Yeah. And he was a, a nondescript character, and he would, they would go back and forth over words, and he would get them totally confused. Now, well, that's I'll, interesting. It's a, it's, an, it's a Cliff Arquette uh -huh. character. Now, Cliff Arquette, at one point, 
played the old timer for a while. Which I've never been able to find a copy of. I'll have to see if I have some. Mm -hmm. Cliff Arquette didn't play the full run. It, it was a different. Well, I think I've read that he must have played it in Chicago at the old timer, which we don't have very many. Uh -huh. And then he was uh, not associated with Fairy McGee Molly until the late 40s again. Ah. And actually, he played the old time of girlfriend, Betsy, for a while. I remember him on the old Jack Parr show, TV. Oh, yeah. the, the, the Tonight Show. Right. Jack Parr did. Right. He, he was uh, Charlie Weaver on there. Yep. And read letters from Mama. Yep. And uh, same voice, same old timer's voice, but very funny stuff. Oh, yeah. And I, I think he's. Um, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. I was, I was thinking Weaver. Uh, Going to see Weaver. Beetlebomb. Beetle, yeah, Dennis, yeah, Dennis Weaver. Dennis, no, not Dennis. That was Chester, I think. Well, well, okay. I, the, yeah, um, Weaver, Weaver. Doodles Weaver. Doodles Weaver, very good. Yeah, yeah. Beetlebomb, yeah. And, and I think he, he had um, a relative that was an executive at NBC. Yeah, Pat. Pat Weaver, yeah. Pat Weaver, and then Pat's daughter or granddaughter is the actress, Goni Weaver, or whatever. Uh, and uh, Pat was sort of the guy who hung around the Fred Allen show a lot. Uh -huh. Pat was the one that came up with the concept of the uh, um, monitor and the uh, the Dave Galloway uh, show on TV in the morning. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they had the monkey. That's right. What was that? The Today Show, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the early David Letterman shows, they had monkey cam where they put a camera on the monkey and they just let it run around the studio <laughs> or the uh, theater. And it, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, um, just wanted to clear up some things before I go to sleep or make coffee, whichever comes first. <laughs> Now, what can you recommend how Patricia can fix her printer? Oh, I'm, I know what I have. I have to start by banging a few things in there, and I can't do that because I'm in an apartment, you know, and I don't like to bang things around in oh. the middle of the night. But it's in the morning for them now. Well, yeah, my neighbor next door will probably be up in about 15 minutes. He gets up before I go to bed. <laughs> Routinely. I mean, it's it's routine. Is there a, is there a dumpster near your... <laughs> not that bad. I jammed a piece of paper in there, and now it won't take a command from the computer. So I think I'll probably just have to reboot. I have the same problem. I hope it reboots for you. Mine's mechanical. I can hear it, the paper jam. It will start feeding it through, and then it clicks, and it, and it turns paper sideways. Oh. So somebody told me to take that to the dumpster. Because the, the ink is what you're paying for. It's not the, the printers are cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the printer is cheap, and the ink was cheap, too. <laughs> well, it was, because I found a place that does cartridge refills and remanufactures. And for what I would normally pay about $60 for, I got for 29 So I'm, I'm happy with that. And it works fine. It's just me. I mean, I jammed it. and You're ahead of the game. Pardon? You were ahead of the game with that kind of price. Oh, you bet. And the printer itself was only $89 delivered. So I'm in good shape there. Okay, I found Cliff Arquette. Yeah, I didn't have the show, 
but I do know that I've got some shows where his name was mentioned as one of the actors. So it says Cliff Arquette was introduced as Wallingford Tuttle Gildersleeve. Cuddle? Yeah, Walling, Wallingford, W-A-L-L-I-N-G-F-O-R-D, Wallingford Tuttle Gildersleeve, the original Gildersleeve impersonation, and it was first heard April 13, 1936. Uh, Hal Perry joined in 1939. So I don't know what else. I, I, I know there must be something else that he played because I recognized his voice. Could he have played the old-timer as a fill-in along the way? Maybe, but he was, um, he was Betsy. He was the old-timer girlfriend. He was Bessie. I, yes. Now, I thought Bill Thompson did both of those. No, that was, that was Cliff Arquette. And then, uh, and then, then I heard him as nondescript characters from the late 40s or early 50s. Just a, you know, a bit, just uh, small features. You could always hear his voice, his mannerism. Mm-hmm. So you knew that with Cliff. How about that? And I always thought it was uh, the old-timer doing the same thing back and forth. That's really interesting. But Cliff Arquette isn't listed in in Dunning that I have found yet, mm-hmm. uh, except for that one reference that I just gave you. Hmm. You might try Googling uh, The Night Show or Jack Parr and Cliff Arquette, and it might give a little more bio. Oh, a, a background and a bio on him. Okay. Or well, I, I am... bet he might be in the Radio Stories book. Uh my radio stars book. Hold on. I got them right here. I brought them with me. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I was in Dunning. Doing homework on the fly tonight. Dunning, by the way, does not have the Blue Beetle. I had to go someplace else for it. Huh? That, that's the worst thing I ever heard of plagiarism as far as that <laughs> Green Hornet and the Blue Beetle. Now, how close <laughs> can you get? <laughs> and it was the 1940, May to September 1940. I found the log on Jerry's site. Well, I guess it's a different bug and a different color, no one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cliff Arquette. Let's see here. Comedian maybe he's not worth it. Yeah, maybe he's not worth it, but I thought it was worth a shot. Okay, he was on the Fred Astaire show, hmm. Hollywood Mardi Gras, Sibber McGee and Molly from 1949 to 1953 and 1955 to 1956. Hmm. How about that? Okay, let's see what, what we've got here. Boy. I'm Timber McGee and Molly. He had various old-timer roles, including the hardware store clerk, okay. the sly-witted, folksy Charlie Weaver, and we knew about that one, mm-hmm. starred on Glamour Manor. Yep. Now, that's the only reference to Timber McGee and Molly. Hmm. Hardware store clerk and various old-timer roles. Well, that doesn't. So maybe he was a filler for the old-timer. Mm-hmm. Or else he played old-timer roles, and they, uh, maybe they just, we, we've all read it wrong. Ah. Um, when did old-timer join Fibber McGee as a character? I think he's right there at the beginning. I think he's right there around 36, 37. I don't know. But I think he's one of the youngest, the first cast members. Who played it full-time? What was the actor's name then? Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson, mm-hmm. who did a lot of stuff for Disney. And things like that, and he was basically he was basically the utility man on all the film game Molly show. He played, you know, the old timer. He played 
Wallace Wimple, he played Horatio K. Boomer. He was the utility guy that did all those roles for them. Did he do Uncle Dennis as well? No, that was uh, Ramson Sherman. He did Uncle Dennis? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, and I love Ramson Sherman <laughs> as um, Mr. Walling. Walling. Oh, now I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. Wallingford J. Oh, help me with this, Walden. Wallingford J. Twiddlebomb. No, <laughs> no, now you just missed. I think it begins with an. No, I'm not even going to say that. Oh, hold on just a minute. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> oh, and I lost my place setting. Hmm. Whiplash. I know. It's good that Patricia got two two books. You can go back and forth. And... I'm going back and forth with three and four here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm really serious. Okay, Fibber McGee and Molly, let's see, Ransom Sherman, Ransom Sherman, where is Ransom Sherman? <laughs> oh, I can't find him. I know he's here. You sure? He's got to be here. Aggie Williams, Shirley Mitchell, Marlon Hurt, Ellison Carstairs, Silly Watson, Ransom Sherman briefly as Molly's drunken aunt, uncle. Now, but they didn't mention Mr. from the movie house. <sighs> Don't go away. <laughs> Awful. Boy, you guys are just working me so hard tonight. Do you feel... How you been? You doing okay? Well, I know. She she just... We'll fill a little time here yeah, while... Yeah, yeah. So when, when, the, when, when the Brass Button book came out on the Armed Forces... Did, did any of you, you for that book knowing on uh, the History of Armed Forces Radio? They uh, quoted me and they used a picture. Mm. Uh, I had known the author. Okay. Served with him in Germany, and uh, he was the one that I was saying had such a great radio name. His name is Trent Chrisman. Mm. As far as I know, that's his real name. Right. But, um, no, he he wrote from memory, I guess, as far as my part was concerned. Okay. We, we did work together. That's a great book, and I don't think he made a dime on it. Probably not. He got uh, horn swoggled, as they say down in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it's selling on eBay now for about sixty dollars a copy. Ooh! Oh, somebody's making some money off of it. Yeah, they sure. Are. But uh, that was a real honor to be in, included in that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stuck. <laughs> no, it's here. Well, you can grab the you can grab the Fred McGee Molly closet. That that book might be have it. Oh dear, Walling, Wallington. Wallington, Mr. Mr. Wallington. Uh huh. What's his first name? A G A E G Hover. I don't know. Wait a minute, Wallington. Wallington, hold on, hold on. Don't go away. <laughs> if you can. You know what I think. All the, right, here um, we go. Ransom Sherman as Uncle Dennis. Or um, we can look in the Radio Stars book under Ransom Sherman. I did. Oh. 
Sherman is Uncle Dennis. Oh man, and I just let me let me do try this again. Um I just loved him in that role too. I'm so ashamed of myself that Well that's why I thought maybe the other book, the closet book with all the pictures that might help. Mm, don't go away. Mm, you didn't go away yet, right? No. Okay, no. so so the Sherman. Ransom Sherman. Character of Uncle Dennis, but for heaven's sakes. <sighs> All right. Trevor McGee and Molly, 19. I don't think Patricia's going to go to bed until she's I'm not going to go to bed until I go back and listen to this. <laughs> I mean. What if we do? Say what? Do you mind if we go to bed? <laughs> Perfectly all right with me. See if I can. Okay. <laughs> I've got my, my Dr. Denton's on and my bear. I'm ready. <laughs> you too. Bank night at the movies. Goes to the movies. That's 43. Hmm. Okay. Well, you got your doctor. You know, I was just saying the other night, I wish I had my. I had a pair of Dr. Denton's. I don't know where they went. I mean, you know, I haven't had them for a lot of years. But I did as a grown up. I had Dr. Denton's with feet in them, and they were wonderful. Hey, they got up and left. Yeah, they walked away. Yeah. <laughs> what they had with feet. I did a really terrible thing to kids one time. I got dressed up like a rabbit yeah. for Halloween, and I had my Dr. Denton's on, so I was a yellow rabbit. And I made a cotton tail, and I had ears. I put, you know, wire coat hangers. I put socks over wire coat hangers and set them on my head. And <laughs> I would open the door and, you know, give the kids their treats when I was dressed up in my Dr. Denton's. So my mother was living next door to me. She moved in next door to me at the time. <clears throat> so, and I was making dinner for us. And uh, she called and said, I don't know what she needed or I needed something. But while I was over there, the doorbell rang. And, and I opened it to give the kids some candy. It was the same kids who had just been to my house. <laughs> and they looked at each other and said, the neighborhood's full of them. <laughs> You know what they say about those rabbits? They were so cute. Yes, I mean to have this rabbit open the door in two <laughs> different places. I just, I don't think they ever got over it. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're all over the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, Howard was talking about his leg pulling. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could relate to was, of course, my kids are twisted. As you know, they never what I'm, never know what I'm going to say. Oh yeah. Sometimes I don't either. But we were at a McDonald's on uh, the uh, uh, I-75 huh? at a rest stop, and uh, they had a big aquarium in the center of the store. I'd never seen that before in, in a restaurant. Oh, I mean, in a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And one, uh, an eel had died and was kind of floating on the top, which is not, you know, conducive to dining. Mm -hmm. But they boys came over with a scoop and <laughs> got it about halfway out. And I said, who had the McEel? Oh, say that again. What did you say to him? I said to the uh, people sitting around me, who had the McEel? <laughs> oh, you're so good. Terrible. You're so And I always get the same reaction from the kids. Dad. <laughs> well, at least I know they were they were hung together okay. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. They, they took care of each other. You know, it's just dad. Just forget it. Uh-huh. 
I got no respect. You're toast. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, these poor kids, everybody I have told about the cows and their sleeping bags thought it was just a dynamite idea to help get the kids moving in the morning when you were on the road. Well, I'm glad to know it wasn't too twisted. No, I'm the only one sitting here saying, oh, you didn't. <laughs> no, well, you know, we stretch the truth a little bit in cloud rearing. <laughs> you, know, you, you were a bungee cord, never mind stretching it a little bit. I uh, was very impressed today that the twins came over and they uh, are not talking yet, but they're sign <laughs> they sign one word. Yeah. Sign language. Uh huh. They and it's please. Oh really? No, uh, the word please. They tug on their shirt, around the chest a couple of times. I think that's how it's done. Goodness. But it's uh, it's kind of cute. Of course, I think everything you do is cute. That's a yes. grandparents' privilege, isn't it? Are you going to tell them about the sleeping bags? <laughs> no, no, they're not old enough to know about that yet. No, I mean when they get old enough, will you tell them about the sleeping bags? Oh, no, their father will, because it was done to him. That, that's where that'll be passed on. It's, it's okay, it's a tradition now. Yeah, I guess so. It's in the genes. All right, this is, <laughs> this is a sacred ritual. There you go. Okay. But I, I, the way they traveled today, they... I looked and they, well, we went to lunch and they took, we took their car. And they have not only one movie screen, but two movie screens for them to watch. Oh, boy. This is built in the, the car, you know, the system. So one, this, they're right together, but one could have his earphones listening to one movie and the other to the other. I was lucky if I had a comic book and a jar of water, you know. And, no. <laughs> we never even got a comic book. <laughs> we got to sit down and be quiet. Yeah, they, we got by what we did to the kids. We were young parents and didn't know any better. We'd give them some chocolate candy and a Coca Cola and then tell them to sit still. Right, and they did because they sugared out. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just got wired, you know, so completely. Well, they did. And we understand why they would? And somebody finally explained it to us. I think there, somebody ought to write a book about marriage and children, and and point out these things because you, you, there is no, they don't come with an instruction book. No. No. I'm, I'm going to do it one day. I have said for a very long time that one of my writing projects, I should never say this out loud, so I'm not going to say it. I'll write it to you. Okay. <laughs> I, was going to, I was going to write a manual of life for parents when the baby is born. Very good. And the other would be to write to men uh, about being a new groom and what you should do. Oh, see, I don't know. Oh, from from the woman's standpoint? Yeah, yeah like, that. for example, uh, if I, for an anniversary, wanted to give my wife a microwave, what would you think of that idea? Got it. Okay, well, yeah, I could deal with that. Yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't yeah. think very much of it. I thought it would be doing her a real favor, you know, to get her a nice appliance like that. I think it was a hand mixer I was going to give her. Somebody caught me in time. He said, if you, you're going to be wearing that... <laughs> Nolan, you would be the only one to have had your sinuses reamed from a <laughs> You better put something sentimental in there with that hand mixer. Yes, yes, yes. Like a lot of money or a diamond ring or something. Yeah, or I thought a splitting ball would make a nice gift. 
You know what that is? A what ball? <laughs> a splitting ball. That's that the triangular-shaped uh, piece of metal that you drive between a log to split it open. Oh, oh, I used to call it a wedge. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, okay. That makes a good gift of ours. Anniversary, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to split wood. I know what they can do. She might have worn out the other one, you know. <laughs> oh, this is good. You could do a real service if you would do that. I went through a lot of trials and tribulations. And I would, that but, would be interesting. Yeah, I could do that. Do not give a riding lawnmower. That's not what she had. That's <laughs> something on wheels. Does this make me look fat? <laughs> you know, Roseanne, whether, no matter what, what you think of her, Roseanne Barr really did have some fun stuff. She said one time she's not going to clean her house until Sears makes a riding vacuum cleaner. A what? A riding vacuum cleaner. She's oh, yeah. not going to clean her house until she gets a riding vacuum cleaner. Yeah, she, what did she call herself, the domestic goddess something like that. I don't know. Sounds like something she would do. Well, I didn't mean to take up additional time, but... Um, well, it's always fun when when you call. We get to talk about some fun stuff. Well, I hope so. I, I uh, enjoy listening to you guys talk about fun stuff, but it looks like it's almost coffee time. So I'm oh, good. I don't... I take mine black, please. Well, I do too, so that's not a problem. Perfect. Walden probably likes sugar and cream and... All well, sorts of things. We'll have to take care of him separately. Yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, you know, give me my soda pop. I'll be okay. Oof, I, I pictured Walden as being a Starbucks kind of guy. Right. Swave into boner. Uh huh. Uh huh. Place five dollars on him for him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> when I go to Starbucks, I order the hot chocolate. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you guys. All right, All right we'll Nolan. Later. Thanks, Nolan. Thank you. Talk to you. Bye. Bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. It's the Breakfast Club here. It's the Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I've I've been able to locate so far in between conversations here is Mr. Wellington, and I know he had a first name in the show. Mm -hmm. I know he had a first name. I will find his first name. That will be a hunt for Patricia. Oh. She's not going to go oh. to bed until she listens to 400 Fermi Molly shows to find it. Oh, I know. I know. Oh. This is... <laughs> Nobody cares. Oh. Do you care? Uh-huh. You do? I okay, do. well, I do have another question for you. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was what Andrew H. Brown used to say. Oh, oh, oh. I have another question. Oh, oh, oh. All right, this is one of your brain teaser questions. Okay. Would you like a brain teaser Let's question? Do it. All right. I'm going to read this just as it is written. There is no punctuation in here. How much is half of two plus two? Two. How do you get that? Well, okay. Well, two plus two is four, and half of four is two. Got it. Well. According to the rules of mathematics, mm -hmm. the way I have read it doesn't mean a thing to me. This is the kind of stuff I would teach people not, not to write. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to take them in, in order of presentation, so it's actually saying how much is half of 2 
plus two? And the answer is three. I think you're right. Well, let's, let's read that again. Because right, I was really good at word problems, Patricia. This was one of my strengths. So let me, let me analyze the word problem. Yes, Go ahead. please do that. How much is half of two plus two? Yeah, I can see that. It depends but, on how you read it. it how much but, is half of two plus two? But see, I would put parentheses or bracket to make that easy for people to understand. Yeah. Well, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if I if I read how much is half of two plus two, mm -hmm. just by the way I'm reading it, makes a difference. It does. Now, when you're reading the words, you don't know which they're saying. But it's an exercise that I give people periodically to let them know how separating words and keeping them in their proper places can be illustrated by simply reading them with different emphasis. I have a word I, I used a sentence, I never said he stole the money. Right. Now, if you read it with a different emphasis on each word, it comes out, I never said he stole the money. I never said he stole the money. That's true. I never said he stole the money. I never said he stole the money. Mm -hmm. I never said he stole the money. Mm -hmm. Every time I put an emphasis on a different word, it changed the meaning of the sentence. Right. So. I have, I have one for you. What, what, what? I'll, and I'll let you do this with paper and pen. Oh, it's a big one, huh? Uh-huh. All right, it's a big one. I got a piece of paper. All right. Go ahead. You got it. Do I need a big piece of paper? No. Okay. I got a little piece of paper. Okay. You got any got a little pencil or something to write yeah. this down? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. You're driving a bus and you pick up three people. Okay. Okay. And you go to the next stop and you drop off two. Uh-huh. And then you go to the third stop and you pick up four. Uh -huh. And you go to the last stop and you drop off three. Uh-huh. Who's the bus driver? We don't know. Yes, we do. Oh, I'm the bus driver. There you go. Forgive me. How silly. I'm the bus driver. There you go. Yeah, you're, you're driving a bus. Sure. Uh -huh. I should have picked that one up right away. You're a smart cookie. Oh, thank you for making me feel smart. You are. All right. So I got, let me see, I got another class. Oh, that was it. That was it. Okay. Now, I got some interesting cost stuff for you. Good. Are we ready? Let's let it roll. Well, the show we're going to play in a couple of minutes uh -huh. is from 1951. Yeah. And we've been looking at what things cost in different times, you know, during the war especially or immediately before and immediately after the war. Now, we're into 1951, so things are moving pretty smoothly. We're still, um, still in the Korean War, I guess. We didn't get out of that until, what, the end of 51 or the beginning of 52? We got out uh 53. 53. Wow. I didn't think, I didn't realize it was that long. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in 1951, I looked at some of these 1951 prices and I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we just went back and compared to 1941? Mm -hmm. So in 1951, a car cost $1,800. In 41, this is, so this is 10 years apart here. I'm just going to go 51, 41. So a car in 41 was $925. It went to $1,800. Wow. 41, gasoline was 19 cents a gallon. It went to 27 cents a gallon. A house, 6900 to 16000 Bread, 
eight cents to sixteen cents. Mm -hmm. Milk from thirty-four cents a gallon to ninety-two cents a gallon. The only thing that stayed the same was the postage stamps. The minimum wage went from thirty cents an hour to seventy-five cents an hour. With little exception, in ten years, prices doubled or more. If you look, gas really didn't do that. Gas didn't. No, I said with little exception. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gas didn't do that. Yeah. Went from nineteen cents to twenty-seven yeah. cents. So eight. About almost fifty percent. That's, that's uh, you know it's about forty percent. Yeah. Um, but a house from six thousand nine hundred dollars to sixteen thousand yeah. dollars. I mean that's way more than double. Mm -hmm. um, bread doubled. Milk more than doubled. Darn near tripled. Um, the postage stamp stayed the same. The stock market, uh, the average in 41 was 111, mm -hmm. and in 51 the average was 269. So that more than doubled. Right. The annual salary went from 2,050 to 4,200. That more than doubled, and the minimum wage went from 30 cents an hour to 75 cents an hour. I mean, these differences were enormous. Enormous. Remember, we had price control. We had everything tightly until '46 or so, when it started to yes. let the prices go. Um, I did. So, we have price controls in 1941. Well, I'm thinking you you, you had rationing, you had different techniques. No, didn't you didn't. You didn't. Have rationing in 1941. No, you didn't. But I'm just thinking, if you think of the inflation part, I bet you compared '41 to '46. Wasn't too bad. I bet a lot of it from 46 to 51 in those five years. Well, I Be did that a little bit. Oh. No, I didn't. I did it for other stuff. You're so smart. Oh, I did it for other stuff. I'm going to get keep. Uh, I'm going to keep you. You don't know you that. You're going to keep me? Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Let's see. Television sets. Um, people were not buying television sets in 1941. If they were, they were pretty hard to find. They were they were hard to find, uh, it, but they were being touted. You know, this is the hot thing. You got to buy this. You got to buy this. And of course, nobody had the money to buy it in 1940. For goodness sakes, people were barely feeding themselves. Okay, but we get to 1951. This is good. This is good. All right. Let's see. Um, 1948. We had. 350,000 television sets in the United States in 1948. Mm -hmm. In 1950, in April, there were 5,343,000. That's pretty good run. In September, there were 7,535,000. In October, there were 8 million. October of 19, yeah. there were, and they were growing by millions. You know, it almost reminds me... This is I, only the third quarter. That, those numbers sort of remind me of the growth of some of the technology devices we have in today's, well, 10 to 15 years, like a, a personal computer or something uh -huh. like that. Yes, those kinds of leaps. Yeah, yeah. Going from walking and stagecoach to flying. Right. Um, they're they just, just incredible. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. But we have some firsts in here. All right, now here's a goodie. This is, I'm still in 1951. All right. Yep. What do you got? 1951. Howdy Doody. Yes. Howdy Doody merchandising topped $11 million for the year. Now this is not advertising. This is merchandising. Uh -huh. The Howdy Doody dolls, the Howdy Doody lunch boxes, Howdy Doody shirts, whatever they sold. Right. Um, $11 million for the year. Mm. 
Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig autographed baseball. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I bet they signed a lot. So, 75000 8000 8000 Now, that's assuming these numbers are correct. Well, then it has true. to be, because the minimum bid, it opened at 2000 mm -hmm. And they got $8,087.04. I understand. Uh, Vince Gilly, who's the Dodger announcer, went and got Babe Ruth's autograph. And because Babe signed so much... He had business cards already made with a pretty signature on that they hand out to the kids. This was like in the late, in the late forties already. Yeah. Wow. Well, I thought. I mean, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig on the same yeah. baseball. Yeah. Eight thousand dollars and yeah. something with Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe went for a hundred and ninety-one thousand. Yeah. I just thought the juxtaposition was extraordinary. I think so. I think if I remember right, jingling my head that. Somehow there was a, a cancel, there was a cancel check between Marilyn and Joe, and I don't remember that one for big money. This was like years ago, and I don't know what that was. I don't know. It was it was between whom? Uh, Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. Oh, oh, wow. So they had both their signature on it. Yeah. Probably very similar to the baseball that you yeah talked about. Yeah, because and they weren't married very long. Mm mm. No, and. I was just rereading here the last week. They were planning to get remarried the week of her death. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. I have never even heard that intimated, which doesn't mean it hasn't no. been. It's just, I just never heard no. it. That's part of it. I guess that might explain why Joe made sure that there were always flowers devoted to her grave for years and years and years. Uh, I think he would have done it anyway. Yeah. Just, and it, it was just such a sad, sad situation for him. Yeah. He lost. Yeah. He lost everything. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was that was pretty cool stuff. It's great stuff. One hundred ninety-one thousand dollars for a baseball. Uh... But it surprised me even more that the Babe Ruth Lou Gehrig one went for so little. Right. Comparison. I mean, eight thousand dollars is a lot of money to pay for a baseball. But when it sat side by side with Joe DiMaggio sure. and Marilyn Monroe, I, thought, I think a lot of the time it's how often people shine. You know, if, mm -hmm. if, if sure, if, it's it's like I talk about the comic books. If our moms didn't throw out comic books, the market would be flooded and they wouldn't have any value. Right. Right. Yeah, but you know, Lou and Babe Ruth on the same baseball. You know, a Babe Ruth baseball and a Lou Gehrig baseball, mm -hmm. yeah, well. Mm -hmm. But the two of them on the same baseball, I mm -hmm. just thought that was an unusual combination. Sure. And it might not be. What do I know about sports? You know? You're doing good. What I'm proud of you. Uh, what I, do I know? I, you're, you're doing so good. <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, so what's next on our list? What do we have to do here? Up to you. What do you want to do? Well, you want to play a show? I think it's time to play a show. And... I'll save the questions for the show until next week. All right. What do you think? That's good with me. All right. Well, what we've got here, just let me change the type so that I can read this stuff. There we go. All right. The first show, and for tonight it's going to be the only show. Maybe we can hold the next one until next week. Sure. Okay, this one is Floor Walker McGee from December 4th, 1941. And this is one that you and I had talked about last week. We talked about a couple. Actually, the second one I had for tonight we talked about as well. Mm -hmm. But this is the one where a second 
department store. The downtown department store is mentioned as part of Wistful Vista. We usually hear only about the Bonton department store, which is on 14th and Oak. Um, but this one had the second store in it, and I believe it's the only show in the entire series that had this second store in there. And, of course, it had to be there because it fit the story. So the premise of the story, Mort Toops, Fibber's neighbor, is sick. And in his questionable wisdom, I don't know how and why Mort, who is a normally sensible person, would do this, but he has asked Fibber to take over for him as the floor walker at the Bonton department store. So it's one of the few times that Fibber is actually out doing a job. It's almost always, I guess it is always, a temporary one, as this is, because he's only taking over for Mort while he's sick. But this one really cracked me up because floor walkers typically wear a carnation. You know, they have a carnation in the lapel, and that identifies them as the floor walker or the person who is the information and traffic director. Fibber decides he's going to wear a two-week-old orchid instead. He's got an orchid saved from when he took Molly to a dance. So it's a two-week-old orchid, and he said it will make the rest of the floor walkers look cheaper than a bottle of celery tonic at a champagne dinner. Um, You know what that meant, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Patricia went out and found information on celery tonic. So I'll save that for next week, too. In this, this is the one where Fibber calls Mayor Latrivia Homer. So I'm thinking I have misinterpreted all along that when he calls him Homer, it's just, uh, you know, a kind of a casual nickname for him. Apparently, Mayor Latrivia's name really is Homer. Because in the show last week, he identified himself as Homer. But, um, you know, names get changed in shows along the way. But I'm thinking his name really is Homer. So you, you have to tell me next week what you think of this. And this is the one that I have the three questions about. So I'll save the questions for next week as well. And we are going to play Fibber McGee, the temporary floor walker, at the Bonton from December 4th, 1951. We have to say good night, everybody, and thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next next week. Yeah, well, next week we're gonna. This is next week we're gonna be off and on. Um, Live 365, which takes which everybody listens to. We listen to the station through Live 365. Is going to be doing some maintenance work, so we'll be probably fading in and out during the show, but we'll be here, and I hope you will be too. Good night, everybody. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Here we go. Milk program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Pet Milk presents Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Dick LeGrand, Cliff Arquette, Bud Steffen, Herb Vigran, Marion Richmond, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Keith Fowler and directed by Max Hutto with music by the King's Band and Billy Mills Orchestra. When a woman makes up her mind about something, she usually has very good reasons. Take, for example, a woman who insists there's no better milk for her family than pet brand evaporated milk. Well, first of all, she probably raised her babies on pet milk. And she figures, and rightly, that a brand of milk so safe for baby must surely be good for all the family. She knows, too, that pet milk is good sweet country milk with more than half the water removed by evaporation. And she likes this concentrated form of milk because 
She can use it in place of coffee cream or even whipping cream. And to use in place of bottled milk, she just puts the water back in. Half water, half pet milk. She also knows she can buy pet milk for less than half what she'd pay for coffee cream, less than one-third what whipping cream costs. Less even than the price generally asked for ordinary bottled milk. Now, don't you agree these are good reasons for insisting on pet evaporated milk? How about getting pet evaporated milk for your family? There's a fellow in Wistful Vista named Mort Toop. He's sick today. There's another fellow who's going to handle Mort's job for the day as a department store floor walker. He's telling his wife about it now as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. And Mort Toop's getting sick and asking me to take his place today at the Bonton is the greatest thing that ever happened to the Bonton department store, Molly. This will be a red-letter day down there. You expect to put them in the red in one day? And fulfill me any Broadway show. And hi, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. It is Sunday night, January 30th, year 2011. I'm Warren Hughes. And we got a Dick Brittle, Ed Corcoran interview for you. But first, here's her prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful time of the year. Bless the supporters and listeners to the station. Look after people's health and well-being. Help those who might be going through first personal difficulty or financial difficulty, whatever it might be. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here we go, everybody. In the garage of Dr. Frank Conrad, on November 2nd, 1920, the first scheduled pre-advertised radio program in the United States went on the air. Station KDKA was broadcasting returns of the presidential race on the evening of Election Day. From a humble beginning in a Pittsburgh garage to the sumptuous studios of the national radio networks in New York, Chicago, and Hollywood, these are the years we refer to as the golden age of radio. Here's the Manhattan merry-go-round that brings you the bright side of life, that whirls you in music to all the big night spots of New York town. To hear the top songs of the week sung so clearly you can understand every word in singing your time. On the air for Griffin. It's time to shine. Shine shoes Tony Home Permanent presents. This is Nora Drake. The Golden Age of Radio is brought to you by Burrett Mutual Savings Bank, serving Central Connecticut since 1889. Dick Bertel and his special guest, Hans Conried, will be with you in a moment. But first... Gee, Dick, why so gloomy? Oh, same as usual, Mary. Money problems. It seems my pay is just swallowed up by monthly payments. On top of all this, I need four new tires for the buggy. I just don't know how I'll be able to afford them. Why don't you do what our neighbors did? Trot on down to the Bird Mutual Savings Bank and talk to Bill Karras, their family credit manager. 
You know, he granted them a consolidation loan, which they repay in low monthly payments at lower interest rates than they've been paying on other loans. Their monthly bills were cut in half, and for the first time in their lives, they're saving money. Bill Karras, huh? A Burrett Mutual Savings Bank? Mm-hmm, that's right. They've helped thousands of people like them. You'll be surprised to see how easy it is to arrange a loan. <laughs> uh, by the way, Mary, what does Bill Karras do when he needs money? Hmm, I don't know. I guess he asked his wife, Nellie. Barrett Mutual Savings Bank, New Britain, West Hartford, Wethersfield, Rocky Hill. And now the host of the Golden Age of Radio, Dick Bertell. Good evening, and with me once again is the man with 2,000 hours of old-time radio programs on tape, Ed Corcoran. Ed, we're broadcasting from an unusual location tonight. Yes, Dick, we've been backstage, but this is the first time we've actually been on stage. And with us, of course, is the star of the production currently at Ivoryton Playhouse, Hans Conrad. Hans, it's a... ...by Burrett Mutual Savings Bank, serving Central Connecticut since 1889. This program was engineered by Bob Sherego and was produced and edited by Brian Hartnett. This is Paul Sutton. Okay, Dr. Michael under the water tonight, so we're going to move right into a couple of Jack Benny shows here on Yesterday USA. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Feeling low. Feeling Just how you'll feel when you light up a Lucky, because Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. Yes, friends, Lucky's fine tobacco puts you on the right level to feel and do your level best. It's important to know that fine tobacco can do this for you. And LSMFT, LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Smooth, mild, thoroughly enjoyable tobacco. So next time you buy cigarettes, get a carton of Lucky Strike and get on the right level, the lucky level, where you feel your best and do your best. Yes, smoke a Lucky to feel your level best. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, the Sportsman Quartet, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills, where he's waiting for Professor LeBlanc to arrive and give him a violin lesson. At the moment, the professor is approaching the house. Here is Michel Benny's house. Why did I have to become a violin teacher? If there is such a thing as reincarnation, I'm winning. Golly, you gotta be smart to be the doctor, too. You said it. Gee. Break the Bank, radio's biggest money-paying show, is next on NBC. 
out December 14, 1949. Portions of the following program are transcribed. The Kraft Foods Company makes... Two. You...